Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Invest Talk. It is Monday, December 3rd, 2018. And at this point, I think we can all agree that the year has raced by pretty quickly. Christmas will be here in just a few weeks. And we have less than a full month of trading days left in 2018. And the big question is, how will the market close out the year? Uh, We had a good day today in the market on the back of, I guess you can say positive news. Uh, I I wouldn't really call it it that positive. Uh, And we're going to actually have a a day off from the market on Wednesday. So everybody, the market's going to be closed on Wednesday because of President Bush's uh, President eight President HW is HW yeah HW Bush uh, passing and they're closing the market on Wednesday so that's got kind of odd that they're they're doing that I think they did that for a recent president too uh, that passed a couple years ago so maybe that's a new thing you close the market when a president dies which hey gives me a day off which is great uh, I'm Justin Klein, and I welcome you to Invest Talk and the weekday financial program that has one clear objective, and that is to help you grow and protect your investments. And of course, we welcome your phone calls and questions at 888 chart. That's 888-992-4278. Now, the Dow was up triple digits following news of some sort of 90-day truce, trade truce between U.S. and China, and the ISM manufacturing report came out today, and that was actually pretty good, Uh, so economic numbers, while slowing, you know, you still have some a few bright spots, like the ISM report, Uh, there were some negatives, like the Fed's effect and trying to trade concerns, that uh, seem to, the, the market seems to be a little more positive on. Uh, and I think the market's missing it here. Um, uh, one is the Fed, uh, the, uh, Powell came out, was it last week, and basically said the rates are just below neutral. Well, what does just below mean? Does that mean only one rate hike, two, or three? It's kind of a, a nebulous uh, term that you can't really pin down. And I think uh, what, the, what the Fed has turned to is they're now data dependent. Uh, which they were for a long time, and I think they will continue to be. Uh, but I think they will can they will raise rates in uh, this month, and we'll see where the, how the market comes into 2019. And on the trade front, this is a 90-day truce, uh, basically a 60-day extension uh, between uh, the when they were supposed to raise tariffs, which is January one, to I guess so at the end of February, and nothing really was hashed out uh, during the G20 summit over the weekend in Buenos Aires. So, uh, to me, I think this rally, while nice, uh, doesn't really feel real. Uh, and, and on the back of 
real optimism. Uh, now we are up into resistance levels, and if you're uh, an InvestTalk Academy member, you'll you'll see my full analysis on Wednesday. I guess I'm not. I guess I'm working Wednesday because I'm doing the 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 class uh, for InvestTalk Academy. But uh, I will go over the markets why we're into a lot of resistance, which which we are. So the big question is, will there be a Santa Claus rally? And I'm gonna say I think this month is going to be flat to down uh, because I, I just don't see a lot of catalysts beyond which we've already seen, right? Uh, the Fed is coming out with their report or their, their decision later this month and they're going to indicate what they're planning to do for 2019. And right now, the expectations of the market is a dovish Fed, meaning a Fed that's planning to tighten less uh, next year than they previously planned. Uh, and I think the Fed can't do much better than that, right? Uh, can't say much more than that because they don't know what the economic numbers are going to come in at for next year, okay? So I think we're going to have a flat to down December, and I think we're going to have a flat to slightly up return on the S&P for the year. So I guess uh, that does it. Now, oil is coming off its worst month in a decade. Uh, crude oil was up this morning about 3.5% on the back of this trade news. Uh, high taxes on fuel in France has reached a breaking point, and there have been mass protests there, which uh, I think is an underrated news story. The fact that uh, one of the largest economies in Europe, in the European Union, is having civil unrest, not just uh, political infights, but actual riots. Uh, it's pretty interesting because I was actually in France earlier this year. I was in Paris uh, and to see cars on fire. I was at the uh, the Arc de Triomphe, which uh, if you saw the news, there was a, a statue within the Arc de Triomphe that I have pictures of myself that's just six months ago and they smashed it and destroyed it. And to see kind of the that country come unraveled is uh, pretty impactful, especially since I was just there six months ago. Uh, and I think that's under an underrated story and just shows to, shows the political strain that we're seeing in the world today, especially in the European Union. Now, we saw an interesting story this morning at marketwatch.com, and it says, it turns out millennials are just like the rest of us, except poorer. And I'll explain later, but before I get to that, let's make time for a caller question. And you know our number. As always, it's 888-99-CHART. Hi, my question is about Oracle, and I know you're talking about tech, and I own it. I still hold it. It's in my retirement account. I listen to you on podcasts. I like your opinion about it. Thank you. Bye. All right, now I've talked recently about the fact that I'm not a big fan of tech uh, right now, and but that doesn't mean I, I hate every name in the, the space, not at all. Uh, I think some of the bigger, slower growth names or more mature names out there uh, can be still relatively good values in this market. Uh, Oracle is that type of name, right? $188 billion market cap. It's been growing its revenues in the mid to low single digits over the last couple of years. Uh, its P ratio is 15, very modest. It yields about 1.5%. Earnings are growing up, uh, supposed to be 8% this year, 8% next year. You know, it's, it's a name that, it's, a, it's not a growth name. I know it's in tech, but it's not a growth name. It's a, it's a big uh, enterprise company that 
just has a legacy strong business that isn't growing dramatically, uh, mainly because it's so large. I mean, they did $40 billion in revenue in the trailing 12 months. So you can see how large of a company this is. It's very hard to grow that type of revenue at a, at a strong clip. Now, their enterprise value to EBITDA is about 10, which is okay, you know, pretty pretty decent. Uh, they're, they, have, they have no debt, uh, about $5 billion in net cash on their balance sheet. And the return on equity is, is decent, and uh, I wouldn't say decent, 8%. Definitely not exciting uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it's the type of tech name that I like. Uh, you know, yields one and a half percent. Their cash dividend payout ratio is only twenty-two percent, meaning they can raise their dividend. They have a, a plenty of cash and plenty of firepower. And I think it's the type of name that's going to do well in the markets coming uh, forward uh, because there's going to be a lot of these high-flying tech names that. Why they were growing revenue dramatically, just never built a solid business and uh, maybe took on too much debt, uh, come under pr pressure because of the market conditions, because of competition uh, that has come into, into the market. Remember, the tech industry moves pretty fast and there'll be a name that starts to use that strong balance sheet, that strong revenue base, that, that strong profitability to go buy some of these smaller names. And uh, they, have, they have good leadership. And this is the type of tech name that I love in this market. Uh, a type of tech names I don't love are the Netflixes of the world that are burning just massive amounts of cash uh, and just isn't sustainable and was only sustainable because of very, very low interest rates. So I like Oracle, uh, you know, I don't love it here, but I like it, especially compared to most other tech names. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you to check out our new online training experience. It's called Invest Talk Academy. It's open now. After a quick one minute break, I will be back with the story comparing the financial analysis of millennials with preceding generations. But now I'm ready to take your questions. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART. As an investor, you witnessed the volatility of October and November. And now in the final trading weeks of 2018, there could be more surprises. So to prosper, serious investors need to make sure they are using a balanced portfolio strategy. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's taking your questions live. 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. And I urge you to call in sooner rather than later. Now, according to a new study, it turns out the millennials, which are those born between nineteen eighty two and two thousand, may have paid a price for the coming age of coming of age uh, in the recession. And what the study finds is that millennials have lower real incomes than members of earlier generations at a similar age, and also have appeared to accumulated fewer assets. Now, millennials tend to be more racially and ethnically diverse, more educated, and spend more money on food away from home versus earlier generations. They're more likely to put off getting married. 
but their preference for consumptions don't differ significantly from earlier generations. For example, spending on cars is hump-shaped, meaning it starts low, picks up in the middle age, and then slows down. Uh, the study determined that average spending on vehicles by millennial households is consistent with this trend. Although that spending started below that of comparably aged generation X households at the very beginning of the cycle. Now the two generations spending profiles appear to have come together, converged over time. Now most of the press reports uh, indicate that the young people were not interested in buying cars and they were published right after the financial crisis. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just couldn't afford it. Not that they didn't want to buy cars. Now, as the recovery has gained steam, they're becoming more like the previous generation. So over time, it appears that millennials are becoming more like everybody else. So... There are some small differences, you know. I'm on the, I'm kind of on the edge. Uh, I was born in '83. I'm 35, so I kind of have that bridged gap where I see the habits and I have some of the habits of, of maybe younger people, but I have a lot of the habits of the older generation because I grew up when there really wasn't internet, you know, in the, my elementary, middle school, only really high school. Um, so I kind of have that, that bridge perspective and uh, younger people, they don't spend on a lot of material things that travel more, uh, more about experiences than buying a house and, and living in suburbia. That's just not something that uh, the average millennial tends to do. Now, it doesn't mean they're drastically different than the previous generations because we aren't, uh, but there are some iterations to consider. Now, today's market volatility makes it plain that it takes... Plenty of persistent discipline to build a strong investment portfolio and to fund your retirement savings. So when you get to the point where you realize that you would benefit from professional and unbiased guidance, I encourage you to reach out to myself and Steve at KPP Financial. You can call our Dana Point office, send us a message through investtalk.com. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have a singular mission here, and that is to help you grow and protect your investments. Now, to get started, I encourage you to take our free risk tolerance quiz at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, and I'm ready for your questions, so give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. What's your question? 888-99-CHART is how to reach Invest Talk right now. This is Invest Talk, the KPP premium newsletter distributed to each subscriber's inbox on Fridays, provides a summary of the market week that was, offers a look ahead, and even points out notable stock ideas. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here, and the lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Is that how you got through and ask your question? Let's go to Amit in San Jose. Uh, hi, Justin. There? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have a question about this lead curve. 
So that gap between that 10-year and that two-year getting narrower and narrower. And with mm-hmm. the Fed raising the interest rate again this month, is there a real possibility that the yield curve can invert? And if it does so, which well, sectors will be affected? Well, the three-year and the five-year actually inverted today. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, that almost uh, means the, the market's kind of pricing in a recession sometime in the next two, three years. Uh, and the two and 10 years at the lowest level of this recovery, I think it's at 20 basis points or something like that. Uh, now, the the sectors that do the worst or are hurt most by a flat or inverted yield curve tend to be the financials because they tend to borrow short and they lend long. And if they're cost to borrow is higher than the amount that they're getting from lending long, uh, they're they're either not going to make any money or make very little, uh, and they're going to stop lending, right? So that's a sector that certainly won't do well in that type of environment. Okay. Thanks for explaining. Thank you very much. Any other, any other questions? Uh, no, that's basically it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for explaining right. it. No problem. Thanks for calling. Now, today's main talking point, the four biggest mistakes first-time home buyers make and can be difficult and confusing to and an expensive process to begin with uh, buying a home. And if you don't do it right, then you can really lose your bargaining power, even in a market like this, which it's now a, it's a buyer's market. Uh, so I'm going to look into... Uh, what those mistakes are for most, not just first time home buyers, but even just any buyer in general. Also, in the follow up to a meet, are we in a recession? Yes, we're in a recession. We're in a recession right now. Not an economic recession, but a smartphone recession. A smartphone recession. I'm going to talk about uh, what those numbers look like and why and what that means for the players within the smartphone space. Also, Bitcoin. It broke down, was it last week, two weeks ago? And Bitcoin is, I think, on its way to becoming worthless now. Is it going to go away completely and all cryptocurrencies are gone? No. But Bitcoin and most other cryptocurrencies are going to be worthless and part of economic and investment history and the follies of hype and really the poster child of free money by central banks. And lastly, uh, Elliott Wave Theory, which is one way to analyze charts in the market, uh, has a there's, there's a couple ways the market can evolve over the next five, ten years or so, and I'm going to hopefully explain what those are. 888 chart 888 Let's squeeze in another question from a caller that came in earlier at that same number, left a message, and now we're going to answer right here. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Carlos from Los Angeles. I have a quick question about WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. Wondering if it's a goodbye or possibly long term good option. You're listening in the podcast. Thank you. 
did he say long-term put options? I think maybe he means call options. Uh, I wasn't sure if I heard that right. But he's looking at World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, I don't think I need to explain to you what they do. And you would be, if you don't know already, it's a strong business. Uh, they lost money in 2014, but they've been doing pretty much pretty well ever since. They're going to make almost a dollar a share this year, a dollar twenty-seven a share next year. Revenues are pretty spotty, very inconsistent. Some quarters they're up, you know, thirty percent, eighteen percent. Other quarters it's flat over the past couple years. But earnings continue to go up, and that is a positive. They pay about a 0.7% dividend yield, so nothing too exciting on that front. Let me look at the valuation, because the valuation, uh, the, the, the stock's gone up pretty dramatically over the past uh, couple years or so. In 2015, it was trading in the teens, low teens, about 10, 11, 12 bucks. Now it's at $73. So you can see, just in three and a half years, it's gone up sevenfold. So Clearly, it's a more expensive company than it was back then, uh, and they have no debt. I like that. Very little debt in their balance sheet, but their enterprise value to EBITDA is 37. Yee, that's very expensive. I don't like that. Return on equity long-term, 23%. That's solid. I like that, um, but I think you just missed the boat, and this has started to come off. It had a big, big sell-off earlier this year. You're making a lower high. Uh, I, I think you missed the boat. I, I don't like it here. I don't... I don't know that I don't I used to like the product when I was a little kid um, but apparently still has popularity but I just don't see this as a good long-term play as well as the fact that it's also very expensive at these levels so no on world wrestling entertainment now tomorrow on invest talk how HSA's health savings accounts offer a triple tax benefit I'm Justin Klein and I'm ready to take your questions now at 888.99 chart to win, all effective investors use a process. And listeners call InvestTalk every day asking to share our winning process. And they too can win using the right analytical tools. Just what do we use as our everyday go-to research tool? YCharts. It's a cloud-based financial research platform. It is indispensable. YCharts has the powerful tools of a terminal combined with the ease of use of a modern website. We use YCharts every day. YCharts is easy to navigate, visually awesome, and informative. YCharts has filters driven by thousands of metrics, Excel integration, and data visualization to create charts that compare stocks, funds, indices, and more. If you're a serious investor, you'll understand that the precision functionality in YCharts is not free. But YCharts has more horsepower and by far better data and filters compared to a giveaway tools from Yahoo or Google. YCharts is a fraction of the cost of something like Bluebird Terminal. And now our listeners can try YCharts for free. You just heard Steve and Justin endorse YCharts. It's the lightning-fast research, data filter, and charting tool they use every day for their investment portfolios. Think about it. Steve is right. Free software cannot come close to the power, speed, ease of use, and practical functionality of YCharts. And serious investors understand that YCharts can pay for itself with just one or two targeted investment selections. So here's your chance to take advantage of a free trial and a generous YCharts discount. Start by mentioning InvestTalk when you go to YCharts.com. Get serious. Get YCharts.
Have you visited investtalkacademy.com? You should. It can help you learn to invest like a pro because it features online classes that can teach you how to grow your investments independently. And you can learn more at investtalkacademy.com. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Now today's main talking point is about the four biggest mistakes first home first time home buyers make, but this could apply really to anyone. Uh, we're clearly in a housing market that is no longer a seller's market. It is it is clearly a buyer's market. Now, small subsets of certain markets, maybe not the case. But in general, especially in the coast, California, Seattle, Northwest, uh, those type of areas, sorry, Northeast, I meant, uh, those type of areas that the median home value is close to a million dollars or more, those are, are more affected by higher interest rates. And that's what you're seeing right now. Okay, so we're in a buyer's market, but does that mean you should go out and buy? Well, to me, it's a market where you are patient and you only buy homes that come on market that fit all of your criteria because the market is very unlikely to switch to a back to a seller's market within the next six months, even 12 months. Okay. Uh, but if you're looking to buy, you need to make sure you understand what you're getting into, uh, understand the cost of buying. And the first is closing cost. Uh, a lot of people think you just need that 10% down or 20% down. And I would say in this market, you want to make sure you have 20% down, right? You're not trying to squeeze yourself into a home. If you can't afford not only 20% down, but the added 2 to 3% of total closing costs that it typically takes to get a home closed, okay? So make sure that you have that full 20% down as well as close, closing costs. Then you got to make sure your credit score is up to par. You don't want to be going in, uh, looking for uh, getting above market interest rates because your credit score is sub 700, right? You want to have 700, preferably 725 or higher, right? And if it isn't, you need to take those steps now. Start to if you're going to be in the market, you're looking to eventually buy in the the near, you know, year two years, save. Get that 20% plus closing costs and improve your credit score. And then number three mistake a lot of people make is that they fall in love with the home, right? They, they go in and they see a fancy kitchen and uh, totally remodeled and they start to fall in love and get into unnecessary bidding wars, okay? Uh, when in reality, you should be looking at the area that you're buying and the the neighborhood that you're buying and that's far more important than the home a, a a a poor designed or an outdated home in a really good neighborhood is a much better buy than a, a newer home in a poor neighborhood okay so make sure that you don't get emotional with your buying decision and then lastly you want to not only get pre-qualified which that's what a lot of people get but they want they they don't get take that next step and get pre-approved. Because when you go pre-approved, you can say, I have cash, I'm a cash buyer. And, and what pre-approval means is the bank has 
said, we 100% are going to give you a loan for X amount. That doesn't mean you should spend that entire dollar amount, but what it does is it gives you that firepower of making an all cash offer. All right. So those uh, are the steps you need to take. And like I said, be patient in this buyer's market. Let's go to Lee in San Mateo. He's looking at Merck. Yes, hi Steve. Thank you for taking my call. I really enjoy Well, this, this is show. Justin. So, this is Justin I Lee. Am okay? Oh, I'm sorry, Justin. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's okay. Anyway, <laughs> I have December 21 covered call. Mm -hmm. Try price mm -hmm. at 77.50. Seven contracts. Okay. And now the stock okay. has gone up. So I okay. was wondering, what would you do? What would we do? Well, it depends if you want to hold yeah. Merck a little longer. And also, especially now we're coming to the end of the year, is this in a taxable account or is this in, this, is this in an IRA? It's in taxable account, but I wanted to, okay. uh, you know, uh, offset some losses. That's why I ah. decided to, you know, even if I sell at seventy-seven fifty. For seven contracts mm -hmm. to offset the loss mm -hmm. I have this year, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize okay, so you it's going to go up so quickly. Well, that that happens. You know, we have a covered call strategy. It's called our Equity yeah. Income Plus uh, strategy. So, so for everyone else out there, what a covered call is is you're buying a stock, the underlying stock, say 100 shares, and in this case, you have seven, so 700 shares of Merck. And say you buy it at $75, I don't know what your, your purchase price was, uh, but then you sell someone the right to buy it at a higher price, maybe $77.50 in this case, and if it goes above that and expires above that number, then they're going to exercise their right to buy it from you, Lee, at $77.50. You still get to keep your premium, but right. they're taking your stock away from you at $77.50, and it may, you know, it's going to be higher than that. Now, uh, it's definitely overbought at these levels. It's high volume today. Uh, this is... This is overbought from a, a daily and a weekly time frame. So this is not the time to that I would be too worried about it. Um, I, I think okay. it's a name that, that's come a long way and it's a little bit overvalued at these levels. So I would just let it get called away, especially since you have uh, the, 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 the losses to offset in this gain. Um, and that's what I would do. I would just let it be called away, uh, take that, those proceeds and reinvest in a, in a stock that isn't quite as, uh, overvalued and isn't quite as overbought. Thanks for the call, Lee. Let's go to Yvonne in San Jose looking at McDonald's. Oh, Oh yes, just uh, yeah, McDonald's. I just don't know. It seems to me like when the um, growth stock um, going up had a rally, mm -hmm. and uh, the the value mm -hmm. stock going down. I'm trying to understand whether that that is a standard practice. Well. Yeah, in the short term, you're going to have uh, money flow into different areas of the market, right? Right now, with growth slowing in the economy and the cost of capital going up, uh, tech stocks, growth stocks, uh, you know, your industrial stocks, your financial company, your financial stocks, your your your, your uh, chip stocks, those are not going to do well. And more dividend-paying stocks like uh, consumer staples, uh, utilities, 
REITs, those, uh, that's where money is flowing. And McDonald's can be kind of viewed as a consumer staple stock. Now, their revenues have been not doing well, but their profitability continues to be strong. Uh, it's pretty interesting. The last eight quarters, they've lost uh, revenue or revenue growth has declined every single quarter, but profit growth has increased every single quarter. So they, they've found some, uh, a lot of efficiencies in their business, which is which is clearly good. Um, but you can only do that for so long. You need revenue growth to continue to go up. So, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of McDonald's. I think long term, uh, people are moving towards uh, healthier options. Uh, and they, they did some good by going on all day breakfast and that has helped them dramatically. And breakfast is very a very popular thing. So that's maybe how they're getting some of that uh, earnings growth. Um, but I think long term, you know, I'm just not a fan of, of McDonald's, especially at these levels, because it is pretty expensive. Do you own it? Are you looking to buy it? Oh, unfortunately, I just bought it last, yes, today at 188. Mm. Should I keep it or should I sell it? Well, like I said, I think it's expensive. I think long term, it has some secular headwinds. It has a, a, a about a thirty billion dollars in debt, which is a pretty decent amount, even though it's a it's a large company doing twenty one billion dollars in revenue a year. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan at these valuation levels. Enterprise value to EBITDA sixteen. That's very high for a company that is has declining sales, declining sales, declining EBITDA. Um, you know, I'm just I don't love it. It's very, very expensive uh, for what's happening at McDonald's and just secular trends in general. And it hasn't been this expensive for many, many years. So I would not be owning McDonald's. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you are making the right choice with the money in your 401k. We have a math-based we have math-based models to guide you in and out of the market and we can monitor and advise you and then you take action. It's called active 401k. It's at investtalk.com. Now we've still we still have some time to take your questions. We have uh, what are we? About 10 minutes left, 15 minutes left, something like that. So if you're going to call, do it sooner rather than later. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where their commitment to reason and common sense guidance can help make you a better investor. We are headed into the final trading sessions of 2018, and now may be a smart time for you to ask KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein for help with your portfolio. Start with a no-obligation phone call to the KPP Financial Office in Dana Point, California, or send Steve and Justin a message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open, and you can call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, we are in a recession, officially. And when I say that, I don't mean an economic recession. I mean a smartphone recession. And the latest figures, either from IDC or Strategy Analytics, both have smartphone shipment declining by anywhere from 6 to 8% year over year uh, in the third quarter. 
Okay, so IDC has about 355 million units shipped. Strategic Analytics has 393 million. But either way, you know, they use different calculations. But uh, what is a smartphone? What isn't a smartphone? But either way, it's down. And it has declined for four consecutive quarters, which means it's a recession. And the uh, counterpoint research predicts that global smartphone market will contract contract for the first time this year, 2018. And they think it'll be a, a, a decline about 1%. But over the previous five years, average growth rate was 16%. So you see how dramatic a slowdown we have had in smartphone sales. And that is a big reason why Apple is down so much. They're the biggest, most profitable smartphone maker out there. And CounterPoint cited a few reasons why we're in this situation. One is pricier handsets. You know, Apple has been increasing the price of their iPhones slowly, and they see a slowing economy as well as market saturation. You know, smartphones are everywhere. Almost everybody has one. Uh, and so there isn't, especially in the US, developed markets, that's what you have. And you almost can't live now without a cell phone, and it's probably going to be some version of a smartphone. And the industry is struggling, and they're struggling to come to terms with diminished carrier subsidies. Remember, what was that, three, four, five years ago, when if you signed a two-year contract, you could get a free iPhone, right? Well, what are you going to do? You're not going to sit there and use this old iPhone when you can just walk into an AT&T store, a Verizon store, and they'll pay for a brand new iPhone for you to use. You're going to keep going. You're going to keep going in and getting new iPhones. And that's going to be great for them. Great for Apple. But now that it costs you a thousand, you know, it's spread out over maybe 18 months. It's still costing you money. And so it's creating longer replacement cycles. Inventory is building up in several regions, including China. And all, on top of that, there's not a lot of great hardware design innovations. You know, I use a, an iPhone 8 Plus. I like the, the Touch ID. I don't love the Face ID. I did just buy a new iPad Pro, the new one that came out. Uh, so I like that. And that has the Face ID, and, you know, it's, it's good in its own way. But there was never anything wrong with Touch ID. Work ver works very, very well. Still works very well. And screen's nice and big and clear. I mean, there's not much difference. My girlfriend has an, an iPhone 10, and, and she likes mine better. So... The hardware design isn't really that exciting. And China is a third of all smartphone sales, and China's economy is slowing. And so this is where the problem lies. Now, Apple's iPhone market share is up from 125 to 13%. But that reflects mainly a shrinking market or a market that uh, you know, Apple sales are maybe flat, but the market is shrinking, so their market share is rising. So it's pretty interesting. Now we're in that phase. Remember when computers were the big growth phase? Everyone had, needed a, a desktop, and people were buying laptops, and then eventually everyone had one. And then the replacement cycle started to go 
instead of you know consistent growth of new people buying their first desktop, it was replacement, and then replacement cycle was five years or so. And I think that's where you're getting in the smartphone market. And so when you're looking at components makers, you're looking at Apple and a lot of these smartphone makers, that's why you're seeing their stock struggle, their business struggle because of a recession in smartphones. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Our Monday program is wrapping up soon. We still have about 10 minutes left in the program. Remember, we can keep our anytime listener line open around the clock. So you can call now or later and leave your investment questions. But at the moment, I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, how HSAs, health savings accounts, offer a triple tax benefit. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. I'm a beginning options trader, and I just wanted your opinion. I'm looking to buy puts on some of the FANG stocks. What I want to know is, what do you think is a good way to hedge your puts? So I guess what I'm asking is, what time frame do you typically buy options for if you're looking at it going down? And then do you typically buy them in the money or out of the money? I understand they're cheaper out of the money, but are you just buying puts out of the money if you believe it's going to drop dramatically? Or do you typically buy in the money for a longer period of time? That way you have higher odds of getting a return based on, well, depending on the premium. So just looking for a general rule of thumb. I know it's kind of hard for you to just give me general advice in regards to this. But if you give me some guidance, I'd greatly appreciate it just so I have a better idea of uh, how to play my puts. Thanks. I'll be listening on the podcast. Uh, great question. Uh, definitely a complex uh, for, for most people out there because most people aren't trading options. Um, but when you're buying options, you know we, we have a program where we sell options. We're selling covered calls. So we're a bigger fan of being option sellers versus option buyers uh, in a covered sense. Um, but when it comes to buying puts uh, or buying options in general, anyway, whether it's a put or a call, uh, you want to look for long the longer out you go the better uh and that's that's what i would go with um so i would maybe go slightly out of the money and longer uh and i'm talking six months plus uh it's for your play to um play out uh because option decay in those last 30 60 90 days is fast uh, that's why we sell typically options that are 45 60 days out uh, because we get that option decay for clients so um, that's the the way I would do it if you are looking to hedge yourself um, then maybe you can sell some uh, out of the money calls if you're betting on the market going down um, or the, the price of the stock going down it's one way to do it uh, it's obviously dangerous because basically you're, you're shorting the stock uh, so there's a lot of complexities to options um, I would I would say start slow you said you're new uh, it's a very complex game uh, and I would look for to create some sort of strategy to where you're selling options as well covered call strategy something like that but uh, uh, Buying puts, especially in volatile fang names, can be very lucrative as well. But you got to really know what you're doing. So usually buy a longer term option as you possibly can. Now, speaking of risky, let's talk about Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is broken down. And 
you know, a year ago now, people were talking about, or at least the enthusiasts were talking about, the price of Bitcoin hitting a million dollars a coin. Today, it's a very different conversation. And we're basically talking about whether Bitcoin has any value at all. And I would argue it, it doesn't, at least in the current form. Uh, why? Because the value of anything is what is underneath the surface, right? The, the surface is what's the price? What's the recent price performance been? Underneath the surface is what gives that asset value, right? And we're down 80% from the peak on Bitcoin prices and it's on its way to becoming worthless. Why? Because it's near or below the cost of mining it. Now, as it goes down, more people are going to drop off as miners. And you've already seen graveyards of Bitcoin mining machines that are no longer being used because they're just not fast enough to compete uh, with uh, other miners. And it, uh, the cost to run the machines, the electricity, uh, is just too expensive. And you've already seen this ha shake out. And as it goes lower, it's going to continue to do that. And as m less and less Bitcoin is mined, the blockchain is not sustained. Uh, and this is what one of the big flaws with with any with blockchain in general is that it takes a lot of energy to maintain that blockchain, okay? Uh, as well as many other flaws, there are a lot of flaws in in the blockchain technology, uh, and it's being used to some degree, uh, but in general, it's just not good for being a currency, and that's why I don't think in the current form you're going to see cryptocurrencies have much value in the near term. Now, long term, you could have some innovations and things could change, uh, but I don't think that's anywhere in the near future and you're much better putting your money in something that is going to be more productive. Let that space mature and 10, 20, 30 years from now, then I think it'll come back at some point and probably with a vengeance, especially with how reckless central banks have been and probably will be in the future. I'm Justin Klein and this completes another Invest Talk program and I think I thank you for your loyal support and questions. For podcast listeners, you'll be learning much more about Y-Charts. Did you know that you can get a free Y-Charts trial as well as a good discount when you buy and if you mention InvestTalk? Steve and I use Y-Charts almost every day. Thanks for listening. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.